Hey, hey, friends, it's me, Amelia Robinson from Dayton.com, and I have a podcast for you featuring a friend of mine I met while he was in Next to Nothing. It's not what you think, and neither is Rodney Veal. You might know him as a dancer, an educator, or the host of Think TV's The Art Show. But Rodney's much more than that. He's also a cat daddy and a community volunteer who is in the room where it happens for a lot of nonprofit boards. He's also Mama Veal's son, and that's one of the reasons Rodney knows how to keep a commitment, as you'll find out. We started out light and we got real, real deep, talking about everything from the recent controversial frontline piece on Dayton to educational inequality. Also cats, lots of cats. The What Had Happened Was podcast is produced by Dayton.com and brought to you by the fine folks at Cox Digital Marketing. Let this trusted name in advertising find solutions for your digital needs. And speaking of needs, I need you to subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Play, or wherever else you find podcasts you love. Also, give us a rating. Now, here's that show with the amazing Rodney Veal. So, say what had happened was and finish the sentence. Okay. What happened was. What had happened was. What, what had happened was. See, I'm, I'm the whitest black guy on the planet. <laughs> what happened was. And I'll, you know, that. And, you know, people, the, the people will be offended, but don't be offended. Oh my God. <laughs> Laugh, people. It's about fun. Laugh about fun. What had happened was this little brown skinned black boy met up with this brown skinned girl and they hit it off and had a great conversation. And who knew that, that conversation waiting in a pool at Wolf Creek would turn <laughs> into an interview on the air with her about his life and her life and how, and life in general? That's the power of just being open to the possibilities of life. Who are you, Rodneyville? What are you? Where'd you come from? What's going on with Rodneyville? Oh, just throw a question like that. Just throw it out there. Who am I? Who are you? That's an existential question. I mean, like, you're like sweating over there now. I'm sweating, really sweating now. I was like, woo! Like that person called out in church. Who's the first sinner in the room? Oh, no, no. It's me, and they can tell, right? You know, you ever been at church and you're like, and they do the altar call, and you're like, maybe I should go up there. Maybe I should. It's like, is he talking to me? Right, exactly. Do they know? <laughs> they, know, they know what I did last night. I mean, it's kind of like a movie. Oh, who am I? Like, that's a good question. Well, I'm a lot of different things. And I think that's where my confusion lies in the fact my hand and feet, my whole body, my existence is in an art, the art world. We've seen television, writing, making art, choreographing. Always the person that somebody will send a text or an email looking to connect dots with people and events and activities. So it's a lot of different. You're Rodney Veal, darn it. It's different. It wasn't like I planned to do it. A lot of people think, oh, he had an agenda. Like he was out there like, oh, he's going to do all these things. I'm like, no. <laughs> if I had my way, I would be at home doing laundry. Playing <laughs> I, would, you know, I would be fine. I would be totally fine being sequestered, just making art. But the universe said, no, we've got plans for you. And I have to kind of go with it to see why and where. So I'm still trying to answer this. Speaking of cats, that's one thing we have in common. What's your kitty's names? Okay. Augustus Bush and Josephine Lucia. I know, a little pretentious. Uh-huh. Oh, they well, snobs. And so we could get nicknames, Augie and Josie. So we could kind of, you know. Play, play with it. Uh-huh. Things, so which is pretty cool. And they're just great cats. They'd like, sit with me in my office. And one curls up on the desk. And the next one's on the, on the floor next to me. And I just work. <laughs> hey, Rodney, do me a favor. Yes. Don't do the bang thing. Don't do, oh, don't do the, oh. You can do the hand thing, but don't do the. Do I do that? Oh, am I tapping? Yeah, oh. you're tapping. That's okay. Oh, my God. Rodney was tapping on air. And he didn't see it. <laughs>
People are like, what is that banging? What is that banging sound? <laughs> He's just slapping. Well, it's, it's, it's Amelia slapping me around. I'm just beating him. Me, but I, you know, That's what I do. I'm like, who are you? Who are you? And slamming my head into the table. Who is Rodney Vale, the cat daddy? Yeah, so like, I'm just confessing to all crimes that happen in Dayton right now. So where'd you get the kitties? They were rescues. But okay. Like, cats were rescues. Like, the one... Augie found us. He was, oh. in our, he was in. He, he was a little tiny little fur ball you could fit in your hands. You're one palm, one palm in your hand, and he was just meowing in our front yard. That's why. He had, and it was in August, and he was in our bushes. So. See, it's not pretentious when you like give the story. Yeah. See now, yes. Yeah, no, just, it was super cute. It was super cute. And he was, he's a little little fur ball, and at first it was like, oh, do we want another cat? Or our cat had just died, and I was like, we're still in that mourning phase. But then here's this kitten. Who curls up on your lap after we took it to the vet and falls asleep in your lap? It's like basically saying, you're, "I'm yours, you're mine." Yeah, okay. they do we'll adopt you. Yeah, yeah. Adopt you. and then Josie was a rescue from uh, Springco. Oh, okay. Yeah, so we went out to this lady who has a farm. These cats live large. This is farm out in Springfield. Not even joking. She has 80 acres, and she has a dedicated barn with air conditioning facilities and a and a, and a fenced-in outdoor play area oh wow the cats that she rescues can i go live there too yeah i mean these cats are living better than i am <laughs> like, so we chose one of our cats from a litter of a mother that she rescued so it was and and we were going on a trip to paris and london so we couldn't take the kitten right away so we we're like okay tag it's ours separated we'll come back for when i was in paris we went past this museum that had a poster of josephine baker and i'm like oh, josie josie there we go. Oh, that's a great story too. Yeah. So there's stuff to it, but then, but when you say the names of themselves, they are pretending. Yeah, but they're but that's yeah. really cute. You should just start with that. Will they have? I know. Or not, you know what? I'm not a natural storyteller. I mean, that's kind of. Like, <laughs> yeah, you I don't know, you don't tell I stories for. I'm like, okay, <laughs> no, but if he I, in movement, I probably could have done something really compelling. You're a great storyteller. You are. <laughs> I try. I think you are. Every time I talk to you, oh, you tell a great you. story. Yeah. Okay. Cool. All right. Yeah, and I think I should tell people, too, like, the way we met is a great story, too, because it's kind of a... Okay, okay, so we, we're going to tag team this. Okay, so we got to, you know, refresh my old brain at 53, because we, we had a conversation about it uh, earlier, um, and we met on a photo shoot for Dayton Daily News for swimsuits. No, I don't look like that now. Yeah, you do. You're hot, <laughs> yeah. as, you're hot mm, as heck. She's being kind. She's being real kind. But we met on the photo shoot and I was interviewed and I'm you know, talking about being a dancer and a choreographer and a Daytonian. We were down at the Wolf's Lodge. And the reason why I remember because I kept, I why, after the photo shoot, I was like, oh my God, I got interviewed to float around on an inner tube <laughs> at <laughs> Wolf's Lodge in a swim, couple swimsuits and get my picture taken. It doesn't get any better than that. And I was like, I just, you know, it makes for a fun story. And that's how we first met. And then we had a marathon session at Tanks, hanging out with you and Anthony. Mm -hmm. And we just, we were some mutual friends, and we sat at that table. I think we stayed out to like 2 o'clock in the morning. Yeah, but Eating and drinking and having a good time, and it was awesome. And that was just really cool. That was cool. I mean, that's what, that's what I love about dating i mean if you you know you meet people you can meet them in tanks you can meet them down at the a gala but then you'll see them later and it's like your old buds and friends and that's how we got to know each other and we're just like we had i mean instant bond and we yeah. had to, and then after that prince see i remember this because you and anthony came to the gala for the day performing arts alliance and we had a dj who busted out Prince. Yeah. Now, no. Is okay. Can I say the title? Is oh yeah, it? do it. Okay. 
Okay, the song came on at the Matt Pitcher. We're talking Dame Performing Arts Alliance. These like hoity toity, hoity toity, very nice people. Opera, the ballet, symphony, the ballet, the ballet. You know, it's my world. Um, and <laughs> and all of a sudden on the on the dance floor, you know, it's a party. You know, people pay money to come see it. They're all dressed up to see those and get ball gowns. Pussy control. Yes. On. And we lost it. We looked at each other and just start laughing, and we just busted the moves. We just went, okay. Yeah. And then we looked over, <laughs> and there was Neil Gilman and his wife just dancing. They yeah. were into it. I said, oh. Yeah, they were yeah. getting it that day. They, they were, were hit. Oh. oh, yeah. They were in. It was a party. I was like, okay, Neil. All right. All right. Little, I see you, Neil. I right? see you. I see you. You like a little prince. You like the naughty prince. Okay. All right. All right. So it was a real fun. So that's really cool. And that's the thing about Anthony too. Like he, that's my husband Anthony. If you guys don't know, he um he loves Prince. And like th- there's a couple different princes out there. You got the nasty, nasty Prince. Mm-hmm. You got your naughty prince, prince, and you got your clean Prince. Right. You got your clean Prince. Yep. Yep. yep, and then like some variations of a little nasty, little nasty, little, 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 little spiritual, little. You know, <laughs> I mean, because you know he's got an album that just came out, just him and the piano. Really? Yes. I heard one of the songs. He does a cover of a gospel tune. Oh, Mary, really? Don't you weep? I, oh, I yeah, heard I've it. Heard, and I was mm-hmm. like, what? Then you start to realize. I just wrote. Um, this is a, what's amazing about him is that he crosses that line, mm-hmm. of, like spiritual and the profane, and it's like does this so that's what made him a genius he wow yeah <laughs> no he's joke. a one of a kind all no once joke. in a generation artist blows your mind blows still your mind. Yeah. and we were lucky enough to see him a couple times wow. in concert yeah. i mean because anthony like he's a fanatic he's a fanatic and that's why he, i look at people go you gotta love prince there's yeah. gotta be at least one prince song that makes you get excited I don't think I really want to know you if you don't like a prince. Yeah, and it's obscure prince too. Obscure prince, like our wedding song was God Created Woman, Mm. which is like, you listen to it. It's a good song. It's basically God Created Woman. Speaking of dance, we we went to uh, dance class. Did you really? Oh, and we were dancing it. to the song, and we forgot all our choreography. Well, you're just saying. You just, did you freestyle? Did you we freestyle. Impro- improvisation, people. I mean, I'm telling you, a little dance improvisation, improvisation in your life is a good thing. It's yeah. always a good thing. Yeah. Speaking of dance, so like, how did you even get involved in dance? This is no joke. I grew up wanting to be a painter. I decided that I was going to be a visual artist from the age of my goal path in college was I'm going to get a visual arts degree. This is what I'm going to do. I ended up taking a dance class as a PE requirement at Eastern Michigan University. Shout out, shout Woo-woo. out to e- EMU. What's the mascot? Okay, so it's it's eagle now, but it was a Huron, which is an Indian. So Indian oh. tribe. So they had to get, you, you need know, to change that. Had yeah. to change that up. It was you know. But that was the tribe that lived in that region. Okay. But I'm sure it wasn't like a very respectful depiction of it. Was, tri- it was pretty res- it was it was very respectful. It was oh, very, was it? Okay. Yeah, it was pretty it was it was like okay. This is it wasn't like full on representational. They did just a silhouette. Oh, okay. Yeah, so they were nice about it. They were nice about it. They're you know, green and Classy. light. Mm-hmm. Um and so I like I said, I took dance as a PE requirement and I just started taking dance classes and they they're like, You have natural ability. Let's just so I just hung around with the dance department while I was getting my visual arts degree and my political science degree at the same time. Oh. Because I'm an overachiever. <laughs> I didn't know you were a poli-sci major. Mm-hmm. I was a poli-sci major. I was, I was a dual major. I have two, you know, dual degrees. And 
just the duality in the brain. And, and artist thinker. Yeah. Artist thinker. And also, too, I was I was starting to get a little burned out from it and okay. thinking that that would maybe be the path. But my mom being Lois Veal, who love you to death, that's the toughest woman on the planet. If you ever meet her, she looks sweet, but be careful. <laughs> She's like a ninja. <laughs> She's like a ninja. This is back in the 80s. This is 1983. So she, she was like no laws against what she was trying to do back then. <laughs> yeah. There's no law that can constrain her. She's like, please. Laws were not meant to break me. I will break you. And, no, and I will get away with it. Yeah, I joke. She's a really sweet woman. But when I was getting burned out, and I, this is back in the day when you didn't have a, didn't have a cell phone. So you had to call on the payphone. I called collect. Yeah, called poor college student. Crying. I don't know if I really want to be a visual artist anymore. I want to come home. And she says, you're not coming home. Oh, I love it. And she said, well, we'll do this. You can go get another degree. I said, okay, but you can't drop the first one. Wow. And I said, all right. And, and as soon as I went into the explanation, she hung up on me. So it was wow. like, yeah, this is how she plays. She's like, no. Nope. She does not play with you. She did not play. And I was like, and I thought to myself, well, what do you, what do you feel like you could do? And I did really well at civics and I knew I did really well at history. Politics kind of intrigued me. I said, I, I think I could do this. And I'm glad I did it. And my concentration was voter behavior and voter statistics. Oh, and wow. Visual Interesting. I, I'm telling you guys, I'm the geekiest black guy on the planet. It's real. I was really into it. It's fascinating. It was in its infancy, too. It was a real infancy of understanding how in elections you really do have to market and campaign at the micro level. You have to know where that person buys their almond milk. Mm -hmm. You have to know what time of day they buy their milk because that will determine how you're going to target them to get them to vote for you. And that was yeah. that was back in the day when you had to enter computer code into the computer to yeah. get the results. Now you just, you know. You press a thing and everybody and it's knows. It's a completely different beast. But, yeah, I was into that. I was I mean, into and I bet that helped you, too, with the whole fundraising stuff you do for mm -hmm. the community groups you work for. Yeah. yeah. Well, and also seeing how people respond to different messages and, and the thing is and at the time i didn't see how any of this all fit together like so i'm dancing i'm painting i'm sculpting i'm i'm, I'm doing you know vi uh, theory research and doing field research and i'm doing all this at the same time not knowing how this is all going to add up i just did it that's where my naive naivete was like well i'm just gonna do it and see what happens right and no and i had i'm like i'm god bless my parents they just they let, let me you. just let yeah. me be they just let it just let it happen because I was, I'm a, I was the first one in the family to go away to college my older brother opted not to go I mean, and it was a choice he said this is not i'm i'm not an academic he didn't want to play football anymore he even had a football scholarship really he, he didn't want to go no huh he said i don't have the killer instinct we're honest in our family about our feeling, like what's going on with us. And he said he was very honest. He said, I'm not, I don't have the killer instinct to play professional ball. And you need That's to the have next that level. killer. You do right. need you to have, have that to killer have it. And it's like, so why would I go to school for four years on a scholarship for football and be miserable and unhappy wow. and uncertain? He said, That's well, self-awareness for a kid, too. Self-awareness. And he got a job. He worked in skilled trade, skilled trade for General Motors. And he was successful. He made it all the way through. 58 years old, but he's already retired. Really? Right, because he was, you know, he, but then, this is a running theme in the Veal family. He retired from General Motors before they closed, and then went and got another job, and has a, he's double dipping, folks. Oh, he's, that's right, double dip, business, double dip. Telling my brother's business, probably smack me on Sunday, <laughs> telling my business. We just believe in, like, roll your sleeves up, get it done, do the work, 
do it for the right reasons. Right. And let me tell you, you never did anything for awards in my family. Another another funny Mama Veal story. Do it, Tommy. Okay, so we'll get back to that story about Mama Veal in just one second. We have a very special sponsor this week, Neighbors Helping Neighbors. Now, Emily, what is Neighbors Helping Neighbors? Neighbors is a program of Cox Media Group. It's underwritten by White Allen and Diagraph Ruffalo, Man and Schultz. And it's really how we give back in our community. So we do a lot of media sponsorships for nonprofits. We try to focus in the areas of environment conservation, military support and safety, health and wellness, and children's welfare. But we accept all kinds of requests. You can do it at coxmediagroupohio.com. And we really try to do as much as we can in our community. What sort of projects have you done so far? We've done all kinds of things. We have uh, sponsored lunches. We've uh, bought school supplies for area nonprofits that help distribute them to schools in the area for after-school programs. We partner a lot with the different brands that we have here, so Dayton.com, WHIOTV, K99, all kinds of things. And we really try to have people out as MCs for nonprofit events to raise money, or we give away TV PSAs, radio PSAs. We really try to work with people to give them exposure in the community they wouldn't get otherwise. Why is that something that we want to do? Cox has been in this community for 120 years. So really getting out there is important. Even when we first started, they did a lot for the community. So I think having a huge presence the way that we do, we want to be able to give back to that. We want people to see how interested we are in helping others. So I have the best job. You know, I get to do things for people (laughs) every day. And we really try to accommodate as many requests as we can and try to help as many different types of organizations as we can as well. So one more time, if people want to know more about Neighbors Helping Neighbors, how do they find you? They can go to coxmediagroupohio.com or they can find us on Facebook or Twitter. Thanks a lot, Emily. No problem. So Rodney, what's the story with Mama Veal? My first ballet performance, my mother came to see me dance. And I was, a, I want to say it was a nutcracker. I think it was, and I was, you know, I was dancing the lead role, Cavalier, and it's a big role. That's the first time she'd see me in a ballet. She'd see me in modern. She'd see me in things in college and this was like a big deal. And I afterwards show people were standing and it's all. And I come to my mom and said, well, so what do you think? And she goes, well, that, that's nice. Really? Well, that's on Sunday. <laughs> that's nice. That's nice. Good yeah. job. Good job. And then I was kind of confused on on Sunday. I said, well, you know, you, your, your response is kind of tepid. Do you not like want me to dance? She goes, Rodney, you have my unconditional love. Why do you need me to tell you you're great? Just huh. do your job. It's interesting. That's my, my family's mantra. Don't do it for the glory. Don't do it to get... You have our unconditional love. You have it already. You have it already. Just go out and do it. Right. <laughs> like, don't quit seeking validation. That's interesting, because a lot of people yeah. do need that validation from mm-hmm. their family. Why is she like that? Is she from Dayton? No, she's from the South. Okay. She's from Macon? Yeah, Macon, from Georgia? Macon, Macon okay. Georgia. We have some That's family it. from that area, yeah. too. Just Southerners. You know, and she came up with the, you know, the migration with my grandparents, and she raised us in such an interesting way that I kind of want to unpack. How was it interesting? Well, in the sense of we were allowed to do anything we wanted to do. But if you said, I wanted to play guitar, she said, oh, that's great. But you have to do it for one year. You can't okay. drop it. But then you didn't get to do something else and something else. You did. I couldn't hopscotch to a different. Uh-huh. You had to stick with it. You're not wasting Mama Ville's money. Right. Or, or you're not going to be inconsistent. Like, okay. stick it out. And then ask me the question. like. Do you feel like you got a skill set at it or is it not working for you? Did you, have, was it a treasury? Was it a joke? You know, then make the decision. Huh. So it was like, oh, well, I said, I really, music wasn't my thing. It really wasn't. I was still drawing and painting. So I just went right back to that track. Okay. What are you going to do in the summer? I'm going to, I want to go to the art Institute. I'll take class there. So it was always that kind of, in our Christmas and birthdays, you had to tell her specifically what you wanted. Really? And that's exactly what you got. And that is 
it for the year. So now that it's like sneaking under the Christmas tree and looking and trying to, to, you already knew what it was. You already knew what it was. It was like, it was like, it was, but don't be a smart alecky teenager and say, I want socks and underwear for Christmas. Because you don't get socks and underwear. Because I did that one year. Oh, really? Yes, it was a box of socks and underwear, people. Huh. White tube socks and fruit of looms. So she was probably in the store. I got some for him. <laughs> no, Mr. she funny didn't even, man. No, her her, her her thing was mean what you say, say what you mean. Oh, that's so funny. you said socks and underwear. You should have either meant it or not say it at all. So what did you do when you opened up the socks and underwear? <laughs> womp womp. It was the womp womp face. Oh, like, womp. She took me seriously. So then after that, it became. I asked for more than one thing uh-huh. and was very specific about the luxury item that I was asking for. I got it, but then during the rest of the year, I couldn't go in a store. I couldn't go in my store and my mom and say, oh, look, oh, look. She'd be like, nope, you know the rules. Huh. <laughs> Christmas and birthday. That's what you get, buddy. So you just stopped asking. Uh-huh. <laughs> just, yeah, so if you meet her, he looks all sweet. She's like like five feet tall. Oh, that's funny. You know, so cute. You think, oh, look at this little, look sweet, at little sweet lady. The sweet lady. Mm, she ain't sweet. Oh, that's <laughs> she's funny. Not, she's going to get you. Sweet. She's going to get me. She's going to be like, man. But I love her. I love her. Mm-hmm. Caveat, I love her. So. Sounds like she taught you a lot of good lessons yeah, about life did. and everything. Yeah, and my mom and dad. They're, and they're, my dad had no choice but to be on the same page. <laughs> so, but they just, but they both had the same value system. So, <laughs> what kind of work did they do? My dad worked in the factory, and he was the guy that was responsible for fixing all the machinery. Okay. So he never was laid off. He was always working double shifts because he had to make sure the stuff pants, worked. Stuff worked. And my which, mom, which factory was he worked at? He worked at the one that was on uh, Needmore. Okay. Yeah. And my mom was the personal assistant to the head engineer at Delphi. Oh, yeah. that's pretty cool. Mm-hmm. So they were like uh, working and expecting you to do the stuff you were expected uh, to do. Yes, they were. <laughs> yes, they were. Their expectations were pretty high. They were pretty high. But there was never, and I was a geeky kid. Like I said, I was just interested. I wanted to know how to paint and draw, and I wanted to read. And I, I was the kind of kid, it wasn't about trying to find him, me in trouble. I was sitting in my room reading or painting. Uh-huh. Like experience like, in the world. Experience in the world. It was like, well, you need to go outside. Like, oh, God. Hey, I, <laughs> I must. You know, kind of just, so I, it was a little different. A little different. So yeah. what did they say when you did say you wanted to become a dancer? Because obviously, um, you know, not a lot of black men dancing. No, not a lot of black men dancing. Um, My mom was, she didn't say anything. She just gave a side eye like, oh, no, brother. And my dad, he had a reaction. It wasn't positive. Okay. He, but he came around. It took him about four years, but he came around. Well, I mean, what was that about his reaction? Was it just... um? Because he just didn't understand what that world was uh-huh. and what that meant if you were dancing. I don't know about you. you you're mentally deficient. Or you're deviant or something like uh-huh. that. I think once he got over that and then he saw that I was successful at it, but then he didn't realize that there's a shelf life for dancing. That right. I was retired. Like right now, he still asks, so are you performing? I'm like, <laughs> no. <laughs> there's a shelf life. I'm done. <laughs> it expired. But you still perform in a, well... You choreograph. That I, means, choreograph I guess I choreograph, it's not really I choreograph, yeah. movement for others. Right. <laughs> I'm like, um, the knees are done. The knees have spoken. They've said, nope, 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 nope. You can't jump anymore. When did you stop dancing? I stopped dancing when I was 40. Okay. So it was like 13. 13 really? Years ago. Yeah, 13 years ago. Yeah. I did dance in grad school. So grad school happened when I was in my 40s. But I limited. I tried like nobody's business not to perform as much in grad school. I, just enough. <laughs> I did just enough not not to offend. <laughs> just enough not to offend. But I had a great time, but it was just, I just knew. It is an art form for the young 
of heart and mind and body. And I don't mind an older person dancing. I think there's something to be gained from an experienced person moving. I just haven't created material or found material that can kind of speak to that. And if mm-hmm. it does, I might do it again. I won't say never say never, but the reality is I just really love creating and making movement for others. How much does Sparkle dance anymore? Because how did she's like in her 50s too, right? Yeah, she's almost 60. It's like... um Less. Mm-hmm. I mean, not truly not as much. She's just an innate performer. So I don't know if it's necessary about how high the leg comes up or how big the jump is. I think there's something about her personality and how she embodies movement on a stage. She's just a presence. Sometimes it's just the Carmen DeLavalade is like Jeffrey Holder's uh, wife. She's in her 80s. She still performs. She's not jumping. But her arm gestures and how her upper body moves, it is like, that's a master class. And this is what we all need to look right. like. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and I, will, I was like, wow. And she's amazing. So Sherry's in that kind of, she's legendary. And she walks her streets. She's here in Dayton. We should say DCDC for people who don't know who we're talking right. about. Right. Sherry Sparkle Williams with DCDC. I mean, that's another thing. We got we have, you know, these people who are just amazing that live in our community and kind of fun. I mean, it's kind of fun to know that she's amongst us. You know? Yeah, it is fun. Yeah. And you were telling me a long time ago, too, where you were stopped by a little boy who saw you on the art show and yeah. was like, and never had seen a... A person of color, a man right. of color. It was really interesting because, you know, I mean, it describes it a man about town. You describe me as this kind of, I'm always moving and I am, and I'm teaching a lot, and I'm teaching, and I'm at Sinclair, and I'm at Stivers, and I'm at Think TV, and plus the art projects, and then on nonprofit boards. So I'm, I'm, I, my day is, my calendar's always full. Right. And I was running a class, teach class at Sinclair, and I was heading towards Building 2, which is where the studio, dance studios are, and this little boy on the sidewalk stopped in his tracks from moving. And he was holding his mom's hand so she couldn't go any further. And just his eyes got really big. And he looked at me and a big smile on his face. His mom looked down and goes, oh, he's seen you on Think TV. Oh, that's cute. And I went, oh, I said, hey, how you doing? I got down to his level and he was like, he says, fine, I'm good. I was like, I was like. I said, well, I'm glad you watched this show. He caught me on TV. It was really cool. I'm talking to mom. She goes, well, we're learning English as a second language. Oh, wow. um, They're from Ethiopia. She says, well, we we don't always see a lot of people like us on television. Right. So this is is an immigrant telling us, I am not seeing the representation. And I think, well, at that moment, realizing that that little boy saw an adult, a grown man, speak about art and culture. Right. And that he's the lone figure on the screen. It all rests on his shoulders and he's handling the responsibility. And that's and a very powerful thing, Rodney. It really is. Blew my yeah. mind. Yeah. It stopped me in my tracks. Mm-hmm. It slowed me down. Instead of taking the elevator, I took the stairs to process. Kind of like our conversation about frontline. Sometimes we it's not a horrible truth. It's an uncomfortable truth. Right. That we don't have enough representation. Right. It's, it's like and you always say, like, you have to work 10 times harder. Right, right. And I'm not just working for myself because it's true. You have to work 10 times harder, sometimes more. Mm-hmm. And you are the representation of you are, <laughs> you're you're, it. You're it, Tag. You're yeah. it. You're on the air. You're writing. Right. You're, you're, you know, you're the face of. And people can come at you from all these different ways. Right. But you still have to kind of maintain that not only the excellence, but then do the job, the responsibilities, especially in the public eye. The TV show that has forced me to think about about being a public figure. That phrase, that is foreign to me. I usually identify by the phrase artist, and now I'm having to identify as public figure. A public personality. A person personality who... and a public figure. And there are responsibilities to that. Right. There's no, I always tell people, there's no manual. <laughs> you had to figure it out. 
I had to figure it out quickly because it was once the show was on the air, came a thing every day, at least one person will make mention of me being on the TV show or point it out to me. Before I got here, the security guard over at Building 13 at Sinclair, he goes, hey, Mr. Veal, I know your uncle. Uncle. Oh, art show. <laughs> yeah, oh. No. Okay. He's seen okay. me on TV. You know, Veal is not a very common last name, so all the Veals in the phone book are related. <laughs> They're all related. They're related. That's big. That's huge. And it, it has weight. And so sometimes I, I feel the pressure of that, and I have to sometimes acknowledge, whoa, like I can't go off like I would love to sometimes right. some people for their inappropriateness. Um, you've seen some of my Facebook posts. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, wow. He was, I cut I cut a little bit more than most people do though. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I can I can cut you. I, I try not. I can cut you. I, I can, can cut, cut you. you. I could too. And I'm like, yeah. I, and I purposely try not. Me to. too. I try real hard, try but sometimes you hard. gotta get them. I was like, mm, double not today. I'll use a different not, not today. Not today, Satan. Not today, Satan. <laughs> I rebuke you. I <laughs> Satan be gone. Satan be gone. I mean, and so. I mean, it's 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 really tough, and then a lot of times the phone blows up. You know, the, like emails and every way that anyone can contact you. That people want to like, can you be the host of this? Can right. you do this? Can you do? And my nature is like, well, I can do it, so I don't have the capacity to say no, and that's a problem because right. then I'm like pulled in fifty million directions, and I'm a man of once you say you're going to do something, you have to do it honor because Lois Veal if you don't honor your commitments and she finds out she will let me know all about it at Sunday breakfast <laughs> you really still have Sunday breakfast with the- we get the whole family get together on how Sunday. big is the family it's uh two nieces a great nephew my brother his wife eh, you're talking and my uncles and aunts while we all live in the same area it's usually about eight or nine people sometimes it goes up to 15 oh that's awesome just sitting around eating pancakes and bacon and talking about watching real time with Bill Maher um, which is my mom's favorite show. Oh, that's that's <laughs> funny. funny. So funny. She's so funny. I love her to death. Clearly, I'm a mama's boy, and I'm proud of it, and I will gladly say that. We get together and we talk. Well, because that's my touchstone. They keep me grounded, and I love them to death because they kind of provided this like support and network system for me to be mean, right? To be Rodney Veal, man about town. They provided. I love them to death for it. Can't even imagine what because I think about a, a lot the fact that my mom. While she was a you know, personal assistant to the head engineer at Delphi, before she got to Dayton in the Great Migration, they lived in a shack. Really? With a newspaper on the walls as insulation. So your grandparents came up here when? 1950, 1951. And your mom was born in the South then? Yeah, born in the South. Okay. She's already, what's my mom, 70 Something. <laughs> She's 70-something. She don't uh, hit you when you see on Yeah, I'm not going to say her age. Uh, like, Rodney, how dare you? Um, but, you know, she came from a family of like seven people, you know, seven kids. You know, that's typical folks back in the day. Yeah. <laughs> you know. My mom was one of eight. So. One of eight, mm-hmm. right. And so coming from that to Dayton, to job, basically they consider Dayton to be a big city. It's it a was city. a big city. It's a big city. It is a big city. Uh, when grandfather worked at Frigidaire, this evolution to having her own children and her children, we worked. He's raised a family. But my nie- one of my nieces is a nurse. The other one's a physician's assistant. Our great My great nephew is going to school for engineering. We have PhDs in our family. With I'm on TV. I'm, I have a master's degree. Just this family of overachievers. It really is the American dream, it like you say. It is the American dream. 
So I don't take it lightly that I'm sitting at the table helping to make decisions right. to save a nonprofit. Did I do fundraising to get free music on a lawn at Levitt? I'm not supposed to be at the table. Right. But you I'm, are at the table. But I'm at the table. Right. I am cognitively aware of that. And I cannot not. That's just ridiculous. Well, it's silly not to be aware of it. Mm-hmm. I mean, because the minute you pretend like you're, it's not true, somebody's going to remind you and it might not be. In the, oh, they'll, they'll yeah. remind you. And there's a phrase I hate, colorblind. I'm like thinking, wait, what? Oh, you can't. What are you, what are you trying to say? You're right. trying to erase. When you say blind, then I mean the color doesn't exist. I am the physical manifestation of that race and that color. Right. You cannot erase that because there's history to that. And it's a personal history. And there's a larger history of the universe connected to that. That is the biggest offense somebody could ever say to me. Well, I'm colorblind. No, you're not. You shouldn't be colorblind. The thing is, we right. have been denying you know our what? past for so long. It's been, mm-hmm. I mean, like as descendants of slaves, your history was stolen away from you, essentially. Yeah. That's why I think a lot of, especially black people, t- are into the whole DNA thing. Right. I just got my DNA done. Well, a lot of people are interested, but that's one reason particularly black people are. Right. I think they are, too, because they're trying to figure out what their part of you know, fully understand when a part of your, like you said, a part of your history is uh-huh. ripped from you. That's a violence. That's an assault. Right. Yeah, yeah. That, that is systematic that serves a purpose because what they're trying to do is eradicate your ability to defend, your ability to connect, build an army, and defend. Because we know in history, let's go back to Roman times, the Romans were the greatest conquerors other than the Greeks. And a lot of times they usually fell because the slave populations revolted because they never really eradicated their culture. So they could, like, well, we could communicate with each right, other. Right, we have talking. that same language. Hey, we have, hold yeah. up. There's more of us than them. Let's take them out. <laughs> the lessons of systematic racism are if you don't want to have a problem later on, eradicate the history, eradicate the connective threads they have. That's all it is. And yeah. So, so I, I don't think that people are always kind of understanding of that, that there are triggers to that, that there are that people of color in a room, in the room where it happens, and I believe in that, there's a lot to it. And you, there are going to be different sets of rules and there are going to be different mindsets. That's what makes it exciting because... I'm not approaching it from a place of privilege. I'm approaching right. it from this place of, I wasn't supposed to be here. So I'm going to see it from this very unique perspective. You might want to hear me. Hear me out. Yeah. And that's sometimes all it takes is that, hey, here I am. I'm mm-hmm. in the room. Mm-hmm. They can't ignore you if you're in the room. They can't ignore you if you're in the room. And I think one of the things that people talk about problems, like the frontline ProPublica documentary, we talked about it. It, was, yeah, and it's, it, it's it just reminding. wasn't a well done documentary. Let's just yeah. call that for what that is. But I must, so, but we also acknowledge that there was an uncomfortable truth in Right. There. It was so many truths in there. We right. do it's have just, a city that's still griping with our racist past, our whole segregation and our mm-hmm. job loss and opioid crisis. Opioid crisis, all that stuff. All of that stuff. Quite frankly, it didn't even touch on the biggest thing of disparity in educational attainment. Exactly. I mean, do you know what I'm saying? Like, that's huge. And I, that was the found, that's the foundation of this problem we have. And it still exists to this day. One of the problems that we have, and I'm a K through 12 educator. I'm working as adjunct faculty at Stivers, and I'm also in college at Sinclair, is that there's a disconnect between the purpose of K through 12 and what it does and this need to transition that you have to have a higher educational degree. They don't match. Not only do they not match for an urban school environment, they don't match for our suburban school environment. While we may have the problem of not even high dropout rates, low test scores, our suburban counterparts are dealing with the anxieties and stress disorders of trying to make what they've learned fit this other educational model. And that's another. So you have generations of kids who are coming at it from depressed denial and anxiety 
and overachievement, stress, and over expectation, higher expectations. It's an ugly mix when you're right. in a college setting when these two things are coming together. And we're seeing higher, higher incidences of anxiety disorders among students, among suburban affluent students. So we have to start talking about it. The model of states being allowed to take over at the local level is a direct contradiction to one political party that, sh- that shall remain nameless philosophy. You don't believe in big government, but you believe in taking over taking school. Over school to, mm-hmm. No, no. Pine guy, and I may be crazy, I, maybe I don't know what I'm talking about, but if you're going to have a takeover, let the takeover happen at the local level. If it's the school board is having an issue, let let it be a consortium, especially for Dayton, in which Dayton is a unique position. Let it be a consortium of the three universities oh, or four, the local government, which is the city, and the county and private sector solve its own problems in its own backyard. Oh, it's never been done before. We don't know. Well, this is how you solve problems. Right. Sometimes you don't apply the same Band-Aid. You create a new Band-Aid that's effective. Are you proposing that to anybody or just, no, just something just, you think? But I thought about it after the report card came out. I've been thinking yeah, about it for a Yeah, the report card has, was so disappointing. I know it's, it is disappointing, it's significant, but, too. It's so significant. Mm-hmm. That's one thing about that front line piece is like you... You talk about all this stuff, you ignore the elephant in the room. The elephant in the room. It's like when when there is a dis- disconnect, it all adds up. I mean, if the meet, there's a website that has, if you just type in um, job income levels for Dayton, Ohio, oh, Dayton, Ohio. Well, Dayton, Ohio. I said, aha. Oh my God, my roots are coming out. Aha. And aha. So I grew up in a house with people in the South. <laughs> Um, in data and Google, there's a there's a website where it'll it clicks on the different municipalities within the county and it tells you the median income level for that section. It's like Dayton West Side, Dayton East Side, on average was twenty six thousand dollars a year. Every suburb starting at Oakwood and down started at seventy seven thousand and up. Bucks. Yeah. There's no money over there on the West Side. No, <laughs> there's no money on the east side. There is an income gap. If the median is twenty something thousand and the median is seventy in the suburbs, that's a fifty thousand dollar median in household income gap of fifty thousand dollars. Right. You can't recover from that. Right. You have a downtown, which is a slice of hope right now. And uh, yes, it is. It is. But the thing is, hopefully that'll grow and it'll expand down and it'll start right. and make an influence. But, you know, the downtown people, mm-hmm. <laughs> you and I can include it. Right. We can't make up that difference. Like, we no can't way. make up. We can't make up. There's no way we can make up that capacity. There. The things that are happening downtown that are positive and there are positives. I um, I'm, I'm not going to toot my horn, but Levitt. Toot, 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 Levitt is a big factor in that. The fact that now there's honest conversations about and a possibility, real possibility, the arcade revitalized. The fact that housing stock, now the housing stock is at the price levels of, of the prices it out of certain income levels. Right. But that's a question. Do we, you know, in other cities, you have fully integrated housing in the sense of housing stock that's for for the $26,000 a year income salary and the 77 and the 150 and the 200. It's all intermixed. And that's what a city truly is. Another thing, folks, we're not a town. If we're a city, we're not a town. 
or city. Act like a city. <laughs> Act like, a, ci- Act like a city, young man. <laughs> Act like a city, young man. It's like, you know, we're, we're urban, we're urban and sophisticated, and we're diverse. And that's, you got to own that first and foremost. Then you could have a real serious conversation about the Levitt and the arcade, DVEX downtown, all yards. You have an arts district. You have housing stock. We do have businesses that are building here. Now the question is, how do you take it to that next level, which is a serious question. I mean, I don't think that we were ever going to get the Amazon headquarters. No. No. Let's let's be honest. That was never going to happen. However, that should have been a teachable moment for us to do a stock assessment of who and what we are and what we do have and possess and what we're missing. There was an article about Cincinnati's part of the proposal and one of them was workforce development. But I've never heard what was our missing pieces or was that a blanket for the Cincinnati-Dayton Joint Collaborative? When somebody tells you your stuff isn't right, you have to listen. Right. And be on like, oh, well, you know, I, I'm for, I'm a dancer. Couldn't last in a dance company without the brutal honesty of someone saying, that sucked. <laughs> like, do it again. Or you didn't even stand like a print. No, no. I didn't feel it. Go back. Do it again. They're telling you the truth. They were, for the reason of that the end result was going to be stellar. I could take criticism because it's right. like, wow, okay. Okay, how do I improve on this? Well, you know, I would like some criticism. You know, criticism helps you. Because when people say, and I get, oh, my God, I love what you're doing. That's great that you love it, but I also need to get better, and I need some feedback, positive mm-hmm. or, you know, it's negative. Like Rodney, it's like, you know, Amelia, come on. Come you on, know, do this instead do this, of that. Do this, and like, why don't I see you doing this? Why don't you, you know, it's like, right. okay, all right. Let up me, your game. Up, up your, your game. game. And I, we have to start making an individual practice and as a city practice, up our game. I think we should be calling ourselves the arts capital of Ohio. Own it. Do it. Own it. Even it, if it's it, not necessarily true. Right. Own it. Here's the thing. And it, ter- you could turn it into the reality. Make it reality. Make it reality. And who arts says it's Ohio? not true? Right. Well, People say stuff all the time. You know what I mean? It's like back it up. They don't have to. They said it. They just said it. I mean, so, so therefore, there are other ways to make ourselves distinguishable and different from everyone else. And that's why it's important to have a diversity of voice at the table in the room. Not to validate the existence of those who are already in the room, because I think a lot of that is about that. Oh, I'm speaking truth to power. You know, it's like sometimes it's like, I'm just validating the fact that I come from a certain class or a certain group. I could care less. Right, you put doesn't your pants matter. On one leg at the same time, like I do. What have you done for me lately? I'll be the first one to do it. I mean, right. I, I, I would never want to be the person that somebody says, "Well, what have you done?" I'm like, "Well, what have I not done?" Sidebar: I'm about to go and do something I've never done before. Kevin Moore asked me to do. They're going to do a stage reading of a Lynn Nottage play and he wanted to do a stage reading and he asked me to do it i'm not an actor i've never taken acting lessons really no i've never done that i've never done this and i was like well i could run in fear from it or try it i'm trying it i'm gonna see i'm gonna see what happens that's the kind of mental activity that i think needs to occur in our community that people need to go okay i'm not gonna be afraid of it anymore i'm just gonna try it well, you know, that's the thing about the frontline thing, too, is there were people, and I was one of them who was like, you know, this is wrong, bad journalism, but you know what, yeah. you did present some things that are actually true, and right. you're right, we need to work on that stuff harder than we actually are. I feel like there's a lot of people working on it, but there's a lot more we can be doing. Mm-hmm. Oh, but, yeah, and and acknowledge that the people who are working for it, support them. Support them, roll your Come sleeve. Because that's the thing about it, Rodney. There were people saying, oh, blah, 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 oh, this is what it, truth, and the thing I found was they were saying, well, this is not working. And, and this is this is why it's not going to work. How do you know it's not going to work unless you try it? Unless you try it. And what's your solution? Right. Like, give what, me. What are you doing? How are I, you contributing to the success of the city? Failure is an attempt to do something. Right. No action. That means you can't even have a failure. <laughs> you just stayed inert. 
Right. Which you ducked and covered. You like basically said, let me retreat in and maybe it'll just blow over and then the sun will come out and this, we'll have a rainbow and unicorns will be dancing in the streets. No. You've got to stick your head out and weather the storm. You do. And if and it doesn't work, it doesn't work. It doesn't work. And not to be flipping about money, because I know people get freaked out in this town because we're pragmatic. We're, we're run by engineers. Oh, how dare you want to waste money in the, in the process? Well, no, you're not wasting money if you're saving lives and you're saving your city. There is not one dime that is ever wasted if you're trying to save others. And, you, and we're trying to save our city. That's a dime well spent. Even if it's an extra dollar in the pocket of the person, we get some more people on the streets to clean the streets. If we build another park, if we invite someone to build another arts organization in town, oh, the pie is so small. No, it's not. It's just a pie. You can make a you can make another pie. You can make another pie. You can make more more of the pie or build a bakery. This whole kind of siloed protectionism, and is what I call it a lot of times in, in private, is that it's not serving us well. We silo ourselves. We're like, oh no, artists can't be involved in the conversation with 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 engineers and engineers can't be involved in the arts and you can't be a business person and be in. no and i believe nonprofit boards a lot of problems that we have in nonprofit boards is they're not diverse it's a struggle right. i know now, the first thing i do it's a well instead of saying it's a struggle you make the conscious decision to tap somebody in the shoulder of color i think a lot of times we forget to, there's other colors right <laughs> i don't see a lot of asian americans on boards i don't see a lot of latinx Hispanic men and women of color on boards. I don't see our Muslim brothers and sisters on the boards. I'm not seeing our immigrants. I mean, for all right. from all different kinds of countries. I want to hear some accents at the table. You know, first thing they'll say, well, I don't know who they are. I don't know if they're really capable of being on a nonprofit board. Are you kidding me? You're basically saying that there's some hidden rule or skill sets to be on a nonprofit board. No, it's just going to be the willingness to serve. Right. First and That's foremost. all it is. That's all it is. To care. Yeah, all you got to do care. is... Well, all you gotta do is care, and some of them require you to, you know. Oh, pay to play. Let's, pay we call you it. get some we, money. We, I made some money, but then also too, you know, knowing not everybody has a six figure salary. Right. But you know what? At fifty thousand dollars a year, I can give you five hundred bucks. That's a huge deal to somebody with fifty thousand. Or somebody's got twenty six thousand dollars a year, I can give ten dollars. You know what? That's ten dollars. They twenty six thousand. That meant that they probably didn't have protein on the table. Right. That's okay. If they were willing to make that sacrifice in order to make your organization grow, you want that passion and that commitment. Yeah, and besides the monetary thing, also is the people power too. Yeah, there's a power yeah. in collective. Of, there's of, definitely a power yeah, in collective. And like and that we have to embrace that. We we could be that example. I think we sometimes we kind of run away from it a lot. I mean, we because we we get we're stuck in a rut of like, well, the, my favorite phrase I hear a lot is, well, this is the way we've always done it. Does not cut it for me. I don't know. No, what that it doesn't. Because I, I was never in the room before, so I had right. no. I'm like, I'm going. I don't know how you did it before, but this is how we're going to do it now. Right. I've gotten better at that lately, about being more a little bit more aggressive about making change because I realize I can't keep asking for permission to make the change. You cannot. You I have to do, do it. it, and I got to be a representative of it. Awesome. Yeah, it got deep, people. I it know. Did get I know. Deep. Well, you it, know, we deep people, Rodney. Oh my goodness! <laughs> I know what you thought. We started off light, didn't we? But we, we spiced did, it up. and then we just kind of went there. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's what I get. I find excited about people is that I find there's a light side to people, and there's a very serious side to people. Right. And I, I want to get to know both. There's a multiple personalities, not that there's disorders, but multiple personalities. We right. have multiple parts to who and what we are. That makes a fully formed human being. 
Like, it does. That really does make people interesting. It does. I'm like, oh man, if somebody's kind of dry. I'm like, ooh, 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 ooh. <laughs> I don't know. Well, thanks for coming in, Rodney. I My appreciate pleasure. it. I had a lot of fun. I had a fun. I had this blast. This is fun. Yeah, we're gonna do it again too. Yes, we will. <laughs> now, isn't Rodney just an intricate piece of art? He sure is. That's right. Thanks for listening in on the What Had Happened Was podcast. If you like what you heard, go ahead and rate us on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, or wherever else you find podcasts. And tell your friends about the podcast. And I wasn't kidding. I can take feedback. In fact, I really want it. If you have suggestions for this show or know someone who should be featured, contact me on one of the social medias. I'm all over the place. I'm on Facebook and Instagram, Twitter, even Snapchat. The What Had Happened Was podcast is produced by me, Amelia Robinson, in the WHIL studios. The show's artwork is by my buddy, Troy Lyman. Did I say that right, Troy? Or should I say Troy Lyman? Until next time, see you alligators later.